Hey, hey, what's happening, Crosswalk? Hey, guys. Thank you so much for being here today. Wow, it is awesome. Awesome to have you here. If you're watching online, thank you so much for connecting. It is always a joy and a delight for me to be able to share. And I'm just so glad. Before I jump into the sermon, I want to just put a couple, a, another note about the small groups we have coming up. I'm super excited for this because I really am anticipating what God is going to do in our community, how he's going to continue to grow us, connect us in deeper ways. And we have had an absolute blast training and equipping leaders and hosts. And one thing I wanted to mention is that over the last year and a half, I've either been leading or part of a virtual small group. And it has been Phenomenal! Like, I can't explain it any other way. You may, you may think like, I don't know about the virtual connection. I, I maybe hesitate. It's not ideal, but my goodness, has it been beautiful. We had so many amazing stories and testimonies come out of our virtual small groups. In fact, one of, our, one of the people that journeyed with me, and we journeyed together throughout the last year and a half, she's going to lead a group from Canada. So she's got a virtual group. Gonna, it's going to be amazing. We've got a virtual group being led from Arizona, from San Diego. I mean, it is amazing. So if this is a time in your life where you're thinking, I don't know if I can commit to like driving or, or going, going there, doing this, being part of a small group, think about and pray about connecting to one virtually because it is transformative. I'll just say that. So that's all I want to say. Hope you sign up. The signups will be coming up live this coming week. So make sure you keep an eye out for our social media posts, our newsletter, and all that. All right? Good. So today... I get the chance to conclude our Remember series. And if you remember, we began this series on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And we looked at why it is needed and important to remember tragedy and loss. As we continue the journey, we looked at the importance of remembering wisdom and how crucial it is to have discernment in our lives. And last week, Pastor Tim, he helped us remember why we have to think about and remember our origin stories, where we come from, and how our faith is so integral in that story. So today, I have the opportunity to close out this series, and we're talking about why and how we remember joy. Now, when Pastor Tim said he was going to be gone this week, he's in Portland, and he said he needed somebody to speak on joy, I was like, sign me up. That's me, buddy. That's all me, because I... I'm fairly joyful, if you can tell. I feel like uh, joy is a characteristic, a theme of my life. There may be people out here even right now that have a tendency to call me joy boy, which I'm totally fine with. Although maybe we should think about joy man and maybe a little more appropriate. No, I'm just kidding. So I love joy. I think it is beautiful. And when I heard a sermon need to be preached on joy, I was like, got it. Let me have it. Now, we are going to trace the theme of joy throughout Scripture briefly, and then we're going to really spend some deep time with a certain text that looks at joy in Scripture. So I think it is important that we remember joy because there is so much importance for joy in our lives today in 2021. So one thing I realized very quickly as I started praying for and preparing for the sermon was that... Although joy is an overarching theme in my life, my life is characterized by joy, I know, and I believe this is true for you too, life is not always joyful, right? I can't be in joy boy mode all the time because this is not the reality, right? There is hardship, there is pain, there's difficulty that we face. And in fact, when I look back 
on the last couple of months of my life, I feel like there have been more moments where I've been far from joy than not. So I realized that this sermon is about joy, but may not be super joyful because we need to look at, we need to look at and talk about joy in the context of suffering and, and hardship. Because that is the human experience, right? Life in 2021 is difficult. It is challenging. There are complexities. There, there are highs. There are lows. There are joys and delights. But there are also many trials and adversities. So I knew that focusing purely on joy in this sermon just would not fly. So I say that because I know that that's in line with the biblical narrative as well. And as we begin to look at the theme of joy in Scripture, I want us to take it all the way back to the story of creation, to where God began. He began this work in the nothingness of this world. Jesus stepped in. He began to create. And when he finished his work of creation, he looked at all that he had made and he said it was good. It was excellent in every way. So human beings since creation have looked at the beauty marveled at God's creation, and they have experienced feelings of joy, of goodness, of delight. Now, when my wife and I, we, the first eight years of our marriage, we lived in Florida and Michigan and then back in Florida. And it wasn't until 2014 that I was invited to join the team of chaplains here at the Loma Linda Medical Center, and we moved to California from Florida. Back to my hometown of Loma Linda, we came here, and when we settled in, I immediately realized I had been missing something so badly, and it was mountains. Like, I had not seen mountains. I mean, we would see mountains occasionally. We'd visit and stuff. But I missed seeing mountains so badly that it became a little bit of an issue, right? We would be driving. I'm in the fast lane on the freeway. And I'd be just gazing at the mountains. I'm like, oh my, I'm like imagining I want to climb to that peak right there. I'd be like daydreaming about John Muir. He's being like, the mountains are calling. You must come. And I'm like, I'm coming, bro. I want to be there. And then all of a sudden, inevitably, my wife would be like, babe, focus. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Snap me back into reality in love, obviously. But so it became an issue. Because I would just be staring at the mountains. I wanted to see. I just, it brought me joy and delight, right? And maybe it's not mountains for you. Maybe it's the beach or it's a sunset or it's a sunrise. Maybe it is a meadow or a stream. But I guarantee that there's something in your life that when you see the beauty of God's creation, it brings joy. This theme of joy is all throughout Scripture. There are so many texts that speak of joy. In Jeremiah 33, it talks about the joy that can be found at a wedding. It's this joy between a bride and a bridegroom. And I got to tell you, I love weddings. This coming week, I'm actually officiating three weddings. I don't know what it is about this week. It's like boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so about it because I just love the joy of weddings. In Proverbs, it talks about the joy that we find in children. If you're a parent, you know this. You know there is extreme joy and there's extreme frustration. But let's focus on that joy, right? The joy of children. In Psalms 104, I'm just going to put this one out here. It says, wine brings joy to the hearts of God's people. And I'm not going to exegete that. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to dig into the Hebrew and tell you why or what. I'm just going to leave it right there. This is what the Bible says. Wine gladdens the hearts of humans, right? So 
One of my favorite verses, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that. You know, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, their first response was to sing for joy. Even though they were in the desert still, they were far from the promised land, their response was to sing for joy. And later on, the poets, they reflected on this story. They said in Psalms 105, the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. And I think that's a really defining marker for the people of God. When they're in the wilderness, it's a way for them to say that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. That's going to be important for us today. So as we cross over into the New Testament, still tracing this theme, we see the angels as they announce that Christ is born. They they say there is good news of great joy for all of mankind. That is beautiful. When Jesus taught, he taught his disciples, he said, when people reject and persecute you, Rejoice and be very glad because your reward is in heaven. As we think about the fruit of the Spirit, joy is the second one. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. Joy is so important. As the early Christian church began to build up and to go out, these early Christian communities were known for being full of joy. Paul as he wrote his letter to the Philippians, this amazes me every single time. He's in prison, he's writing, and he says, he talks about the joy of faith. He talks about having joy in the Lord in the midst of difficulty. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, he goes even further, he says, even though he's full of sorrow, he would yet rejoice, finding joy in the midst of difficulty. This is the theme that we see in scripture, that joy is greater, that joy transcends our sufferings and it helps us to move beyond. Paul believed that joy was a gift from God. It's a sign that Jesus's presence is with you, offering you hope in the midst of hardship. See, when you believe that Jesus' death and his life has overcome death itself, then joy becomes reasonable. Joy becomes a reality even in the darkest circumstances. I say that because Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' life and love. And that is what biblical joy is all about. But so that's a, that's a brief look at the theme of joy throughout Scripture. Let's zero in and really focus now on a specific text. And I want you, if you have your Bible or you want to pull it up on your phone, turn to James chapter 1. I'm going to be reading James 1 verses 1 through 4. It will be on the screen if you want to follow along. It begins like this. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. 
so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Count it all joy. Consider it pure joy when you face trials, when troubles come, when you fall into diverse temptations. These are maybe some of the ways you've grown up hearing these or you're familiar with. My favorite is consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy. Can you remember a time in your life where you felt pure joy? Maybe it was a moment. Maybe it was an experience. Maybe it was a season of your life. Have you ever tasted and seen that pure joy? As I was thinking about it, I was having a hard time recalling pure joy. It's not something that I feel like I've had often, but it's definitely something I want more of. I'm like, yes, please. Pure joy sounds amazing, right? The reality, though, is that pure joy, moments of pure joy seem to be few and far between. And yet, here we are, admonished by the word of God to experience pure joy whenever we face trials. That seems difficult, right? I don't know about your experience, but for me, difficult times is not what I would think about when I think about pure joy, right? And I also think that is much easier said than done. For the past two years, I've had the opportunity to serve as a fee basis chaplain for the Veterans Hospital. And what that means is that I'm on the team to provide a little bit of extra support. I'm on call, I help, help out. And so what it usually looks like for me is that three nights a week, I take call for the Veterans Hospital. And there have been times, there have been like days, weeks, a month even or more, where I didn't get called in a single time. It was beautiful. This week was not one of those times. It's always like when it rains, it pours, right? This week, I was called at 2.30 on Thursday night. I was in the hospital until midnight on Tuesday night. On Sunday night, I was there until 9.30 p.m. And it was heavy. On Sunday, I was in the ICU with a family as they withdrew life support. They said their final goodbyes and their loved one breathed their last breath. On Tuesday, I was there for the death of a young man, mid-40s, healthy, lost the battle to COVID. And because of the COVID restrictions, his family couldn't be present. So I'm left to minister this family virtually through my cell phone while they're in a room just wrecked, devastated by this loss, by this young life that was taken from them, not even having the opportunity to say goodbye. It was heavy. You know what words never, not once, crossed my mind in the midst of those situations? Pure joy. Pure joy was the furthest thing from my mind, and I did not once consider telling those family to count these experiences as pure joy. Right? I wouldn't dare have said to them, consider this heartbreak, this pain, as an opportunity for great joy. Are you kidding me? You don't say that. That's not an option in those moments. But there is a time and a place for that because Scripture highlights the importance of it, right? There's validity to those words and there's importance to this practice of finding joy 
in hardship. So we have to ask, what was James telling the believers in his day about joy through hardship? What was he saying to them? Why was he saying it? What was the importance of it? And how does it apply to our lives today? Let's look at some context here, okay? This is James, the brother of Jesus. This is a man who was intimately aware of loss, of hardship, of sorrow, and yet still remained hopeful. This letter was written AD 60, around this time period. And from at that point and in continuing years, there was a lot happening with the believers. There was a, a dispersion that was taking place. It talked about this scattering. This Greek word is diaspora, which meant that there was persecution for the church. It meant that there was uh, believers being pushed out of their homes, out of their churches. They were experiencing death, loss, tragedy. They were being sold in slavery. It was not a good time for the church of God. And I think about our experience over the last year and a half, and I see a lot of connections, right? We've had death, we've had loss, we've had tragedy, we've had isolation, separation, disconnection, different style of worship all around. So the people of God were facing hard times. And James tells them to consider it joy, to count it all joy. In the Greek, this word here is hagiomai, and it can mean to run a mathematical calculation of your trials. So sort it all out. Put all the data of your life into two columns, a pros, a, 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 a loss column and a profit column, kind of like the modern-day pros and cons list. It says count it all, count it up. And the idea here is that when you value what God values, you will find that the result of your trials is net profit, not loss. James says this because he knows this to be true. Because in God's economy, pain has the potential to give us far more than it takes away. So the question for us today, how do we not just survive the trials and the tragedies that we face, but how do we come out of the other side of them with new levels of growth, with maturity, with new possibilities, how do we come out changed? And maybe a better question or a more important one is how do we travel that road with joy? Psychologists in the mid-90s, they began doing this incredible research. We're all, I'm sure, familiar with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And this research was done in that same realm, but sort of on the flip side of that coin. It was called post-traumatic growth. And what they found was that some people, not all people, but some people would grow as a result of trauma. Some people could develop new understandings of themselves, of the world that they live in, of how to relate to people, how they have a more hopeful, brighter future. And they could develop a better understanding of how to live in this world as a result of their trauma. So these researchers, these psychologists, Richard Tadeshi and Lawrence Calhoun, they developed what is called the post-traumatic growth inventory. 
And this was done in an attempt to measure the effects that pain and suffering have on human growth. And they looked in five specific areas. So let me share these with you. The first is appreciation for life. The second is relationships with others. The third is new possibilities. The fourth is personal strength. And the fifth, spiritual change. And as I looked at these and as I think about them even now, I'm amazed at the connection that we have with our experience here today, especially thinking about the last year and a half. Our lives, our appreciation for life changed drastically, right? All of a sudden, our normal was so different. Our possibilities, our, our, our relationships with others was, were impacted in huge ways because all of a sudden we're alone, we're isolated, we're in quarantine. That impacted us greatly. Our possibilities for life, the opportunities to travel, to go do things, to eat out, all that shifted. Our personal strength, our resilience was tested in a huge way, maybe more than ever before. In our spiritual lives, our faith changed as well because all of a sudden we weren't able to worship corporately. We, we lost this opportunity to grow together physically. We were isolated and worshiping from home. So all these things have been present in our lives in this last year and a half. And my friends, all of them have the potential to make us or break us, to produce trauma within us, or to produce growth. Pandemic or not, the truth is that so much of life has the potential to be painful and trauma-inducing. But we have the power to choose how we respond to it. And when we do that, I believe it's extremely important for us to be able to distinguish the difference between pain and suffering. You see, pain is what is. Pain is a pandemic. Pain is a loss. It is death. It is disease. It is illness, tragedy. Pain is what is. But suffering is the meaning that we make of it. It is our response to what is. So all, all animals, all creatures experience pain, but suffering is unique to human beings. And suffering, the result of suffering, is trauma. Trauma is a deep emotional wound that we carry in our bodies, but it does not have to break us. So my question for you, for us all today, is when trials and tragedies come your way, will they produce trauma or will they produce growth? The answer is up to you because so much of it has to do with your response the meaning you make of it, and even the relationships that you have around you. When trials come, it's inevitable, right? James says it, consider it pure joy when you face trials, not if, when you face trials. Jesus said it, in this world you will have trouble. Trouble is the rule, all right? Easy street is the exception. And trials and troubles will come, but they do not have to define us, and they will not have the final word. In a sermon I listened to this week, I caught this quote. It said, God has a corresponding joy for every trial we find ourselves in. Wow. A corresponding joy for every trial? I love that. This is a joy that is outside of us. This is a joy that is beyond us. 
This is a joy that the world did not give us, the world will not take from us. It's not given by our circumstances, so it won't be taken by our circumstances. This is a joy that is beyond us. God has a joy that defies our trials. There is a corresponding joy for every trial that we face, that we find ourselves in, and boy, are there a lot of those. The Greek word here used for when you face trials, it has a connotation of falling into, coming upon unexpectedly, even tripping over, right? Trials cannot be anticipated. You don't plan for them. They just happen. One lexicon I looked at, it says it like this, to experience somewhat suddenly that which is difficult or bad. That is what a trial is. This is what happens to us. Bad things happen. Troubles come. And the reality is that many of us, some of us, may be sitting here right now in the midst of one of the hardest seasons of our life. You may be enduring one of the most difficult times of your life. And you may be asking this question, how? How am I supposed to experience joy in the midst of this? How am I supposed to get from this pain to that joy you're talking about? Well, the answer continues to be revealed to us in verses 3 and 4. It says, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When your faith is tested, is what it says. Remember that, your faith, not your belief. There's a big difference here. Trials are a test of our faith, not our belief. Belief, it has to do with our level of trust and reliance on God. But faith has to do with how long we can hold on to that trust and reliance on God through our trials. I believe that faith in God, it means faithfulness to God no matter what comes. And this is what is being put to the test when we face trials. Do we trust Jesus enough to stay faithful to him through the pain, through the loss, through the tragedy, and beyond? Or will we throw in the towel? Will we call it quits? The word of God says that it is the testing of our faith that produces perseverance. This word in Greek is hypomone. It's a beautiful word. It means having the capacity to continue to bear up and to remain strong under difficult circumstances. It means to stay, to remain, and to continue when you are under pressure. The subtext here is hope, right? Hope is about the future, but it is for the present. Hope is an expectation of a coming good that is based on the goodness of our God and the promises of our great God. So through trials, we must remain faithful. We must remain hopeful. And we must persevere. For when your endurance, it says, is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. The image here is 
completion, to be finished. And the Greek word is this word telos, which deals with the end goal of someone or something. So what is our end goal? What is our telos? What is the telos of a follower of Jesus? What is the end goal? It is completion. It is maturity. It is godliness. It is Christ-likeness. So how do we remember joy in the midst of our trials? We become more like Christ. We follow his example. I want to give you a glimpse of that as I close with these words from Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the champion who initiates and he perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. My friends, you are not alone in your pain. You are not alone in your trial. You are not alone in your struggle because you are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses. You are surrounded by a community of love and support, of grace. And you are following a savior and a king who went before you, who paved the way for you, who is above it all, and who invites you to be like him. So may you persevere. May you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him suffered and died on the cross so that you and I may live. And may you, through faith, experience that pure joy no matter what circumstances you come upon. Let's pray together. Gracious God, giver of all good gifts, giver of great joy, Lord, it is not easy to count it all joy when we are suffering. It is not easy to consider it joy when we are in the midst of pain and hardship. And yet you call us to that. You call us to be more like you, to count it joy when we face these things. And God, I know for me, and I pray this for our community, that we need help. Guide us along that path. Help us to remain faithful to you, to keep our eyes fixed on you so that we may find joy and find peace in the midst of difficulty. Lord, I know there are those of us here today who are suffering, who are in the midst of a season of pain, of loss, of hardship. And this may not be the right time to experience your joy, but I pray that in the right time and in the right way, you help us find that joy. I pray that your presence would comfort and be with those who are in need. I pray that your presence would continue to lead us 
on the path that leads to joy. May you bless and be with us always. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us one more time?